0: Welcome everybody!
1: Safety is not the absence of threat, it is the presence of connection. A quote by the brilliant and dynamic Gabormate. Welcome to Pollinating Purpose, A Caring Approach to Business by Pillar Nonprofit Network. I am your host and winter beachgoer, Maryam Waligi. I'm also the social enterprise program manager and coach here at Pillar. If you're new here, Pollinating Purpose is a show all about supporting organizations who seek to create social impact through their work. Whether nonprofit, for-profit or grassroots organizations, you'll learn key considerations to starting and growing your organization in a long-term and sustainable way. This month, we'll be sitting down to chat with Jennifer Martino of Crouch Neighborhood Resource Centre here in London, Ontario. Jennifer is the Executive Director of Crouch Neighbourhood Resource Centre. As a child, she lived in London Middlesex Social Housing, where she developed an early passion for community building and social justice. This passion led her to complete a BA in International Development and an MA in Latin American and Caribbean Studies at the University of Guelph. Jennifer has worked and lived in various Latin American countries, specializing in community development and implementation of educational technology. She has also worked extensively with rural and remote Indigenous communities on the use of technology to enhance cultural and educational programming. Since 2019, Jennifer has lived the mission of Crouch Neighbourhood Resource Centre, where she works to build a healthy community where everyone belongs and can access resources with dignity. I have had the opportunity to connect with Jennifer many times through the work of organizations that I'm a part of, and it's always an incredible experience hearing Jennifer speak about how to build meaningful relationships and connections within communities. I am thrilled to have her here today. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Okay, so before we dive into all of these beautiful questions about partnership, can you share a little bit about what Crouch does and what you do and the work that you've done with partnerships?
0: Yes, Crouch Neighborhood Resource Center is a grassroots neighborhood based organization and we're in the Hamilton Road neighborhood of London, which uh the, the core of that neighborhood is between Rectory and Egerton and Hamilton Road, but there is a bigger catchment area that we serve.
1: If you're from London or just happen to be passing through, the Hamilton Road area is home to some really incredible gems. You'll find access to the TVP or Thames Valley Parkway bike paths, Meadow Lily Woods ESA, and Urban Roots London's Urban Farm. There are tasty spots like Payless Afro International Food Market, Kathur Indian Restaurant, and Scotian Island Bakery as well. And of course, there are neighborhood spaces like Crouch, the YMCA, and Hamilton Road Senior Center, just to name a few. It's such a rich and vibrant neighborhood, and one that I adore spending time in.
0: And we are one of five neighborhood resource centers in the city of London, and the entire city is covered by at least one of the neighborhood resource centers. And we're all here to support the well-being of residents in the neighborhood that we serve.
1: Alongside Crouch, the other four neighbourhood community resource centres serving London are Glencairn Community Resource Centre, Northwest London Resource Centre, South London Resource Centre, and Luso Community Services. Amazing! And yes, you and I have got the opportunity to work together through Urban Roots London and things that Crouch does together, so it's always been really beautiful to see the work of the community center and the ways in which you approach partnerships and partnering with organizations. So I'm thrilled that we have the chance to talk to you today. So kind of on that note, how do you see partnerships build up the work for the community? Really, what is the value of having partnerships with the community?
0: Well, the truth about a place like Crouch is that we couldn't do anything without partnerships. I mean, it was actually born out of a partnership with the London Public Library. And uh, I learned this recently. I started as an executive director three years ago, right before the pandemic. And I noticed a plaque on the wall before the library shut down for the first time. And it explained that Crouch is the name of the founder of the London Public Library system. And so even the name of the resource center is tied to the foundations of libraries as a place where people can go as a community space, access resources, find out more about what's available in their neighborhood.
1: Quick little shout out to libraries. Libraries and the folks who work there are such vital parts of creating people first neighborhoods. It wasn't until more recently that I really understood just how much is available and provided by the library system. Of course there is free access to indoor public space, internet and computers, and the London public library system even rents out musical instruments and recording space. But did you know that many library cards can also get you access to online skills development courses, often through LinkedIn or other services? From photography to business courses and how to use excel, there is so much information available for free. You just need a library card for unlimited access to these courses, which is pretty rad. As a wise young aardvark once said, having fun isn't hard when you've got a library card. Uh, I hope there are other Childhood Arthur fans out there.
0: And um, there was a woman from the neighborhood, Mary Sterneman, who um, is still a very active member of the London community. And she went to the library and said, you know, I'm concerned about things I'm seeing in this neighborhood. And I'm I'm just one person, but maybe if we work together, we can start something and we can change things. And the library embraced her. And they um, decided in 1970 to form a group (laughs) called Crouch that would tackle many of the challenges in the neighborhood and try to uplift things. And um, from there, in the 1990s, Crouch became an independent charity, but stayed within the Crouch Library. And and we've received in-kind donation of space there since 1970, which really helps to um, leverage, you know, the, the budget that we get from foundations and from donors. As
1: a little aside, There is so much value in in in-kind sponsorship and support. If you're unfamiliar, an in-kind sponsorship or donation is the contribution of something, usually goods or services, that doesn't involve money. So, something like the library offering Crouch Resource Center access to their space for free. Or, say if you were to own a photography business and offer to take promotional photos for free. In our late capitalist society, it can sometimes feel like in order to contribute to causes, we need to have access to money. And while unrestricted dollars can be useful, so much goes into running these community-based organizations that benefit from all kinds of support. Maybe you're a really great writer and can help with storytelling support, or maybe you have experience navigating funding systems and can give guidance on how to understand a really complicated process. There are plenty of ways to both offer and ask for support that don't rest in swimming in cash.
0: And um, it also means that we don't have any of our own operating space for programs, but we partner on every single program that we run with the library or with the city of London through the Hamilton Road Senior Centre or with other local organizations such as churches.
1: I don't think I knew that history of Crouch. Like we've worked together for so long. Yeah, that's fascinating and beautiful because yeah, it's the foundation of partnerships is what has driven the work and it's such good work that Crouch does.
0: That's so cool. Yeah, and not just the foundation of partnering, but of hearing an idea that emerges from the community and saying yes first, and then figuring out how to get it done. And I think that's something that we're still living. 50 years later, we just had the 50th anniversary of Crouch during the pandemics. So we didn't get to celebrate it the way we may have liked. But um, 2020 was 50 years of thinking about what the neighbourhood wants and needs from the people that live there, mm-hmm. and then saying... Think we can do something with this let's see who else wants to get involved and then making it happen
1: we'll get into this more deeply in a bit but wanted to take a second to highlight what Jennifer said here say yes first and figure out how to make it happen as we go grassroots and nonprofit organizations have a history of trying and or being expected to do more with less as in be really efficient with the time and resources available to make the most bang for the proverbial buck. This can sometimes lead to a tendency to take the path of least resistance, which is how the nonprofit sector as a whole can sometimes be prone to following the same pattern seen in the past, because the outcomes are known. There's less risk and fewer unknown factors if you're doing what you've done before when you're dealing with such limited resources, it's a valid mindset. And just because it's valid doesn't mean we shouldn't be working to change it. Doing things the way they've always been done also continues a path of excluding communities of people who have historically been marginalized. Jennifer's approach of say yes and we'll figure it out may end up being slower, and it may involve more challenges to navigate, but the outcomes are worth it when people who have not been included in the conversation can be included in the conversation. And okay, so that is such an important part that you just touched on. Often when we think about building partnerships and the relationships involved, we think about connecting with those organizations to complement and support the work, but What about those communities being served, and like how, like, what does it mean to actually partner with those communities and like listen to them? And how do you go about doing that work as an organization?
0: And often, when CUNY members come forward, they have their own networks and their own resources. And so, there is something to be said for partnering with like minded organizations, certainly, and that's the path of least resistance to maybe building momentum. But once you have Um, good relationships with other organizations like we do with the library and with the city of london and with egerton church for example then when community members bring ideas forward we're able to ask them you know who else do you have in mind that can support realizing the vision that you've put forward and uh, very recently we had one of my favorite examples of this we had the crouch block party and there was a resident that i knew just from chatting with her briefly here and there over the years. And, you know, we couldn't do a lot of that because of the pandemic. And um, she came up to me at the block party and said, I have always wanted to have a craft fair because I'm a craft vendor and I know lots of other people from the neighborhood that create things in their homes. Do you think we could do something like this but support local vendors? Mm -hmm. And, uh, And so she actually, did all of the work of finding the vendors from the neighborhood and connecting with them and asking who would like to be a part of it, she ended up assembling a team of 14 local people who make the most beautiful crafts. And I mean, things that you would expect to find in a high-end market or here downtown. the part that we were able to bring as a neighborhood organization was that we have the partnership with the city where we were able to use the entire Hamilton Road Senior Center to host that craft fair, which meant we had three different rooms to work from. And we were also able to leverage a partnership that have that we have with TD Bank, where um, they help us cover costs of things like meals for people so that any event that we have is doesn't have any economic barriers, at least. I mean, you know, we, we can't be no barrier, we try to be as low barrier as possible but we're also able to leverage some funding through the federal government with the My Main Street Community Activator Program to have local musicians come and play live at the event. And it just ended up being this really beautiful community experience that came from one neighborhood resident coming forward and saying, I've had this dream for a long time. I can't do it on my own, but can we work together? And over 200 people, came that day we got really good feedback from the vendors who said that uh, they felt it was you know, well organized really well attended that they loved the music uh, most of which was actually in other languages which is something that you know you don't always um, hear unless you're looking for that kind of thing and uh, I would say that in that case we really did partner with that resident because she had a leadership role that was critical to the success of the program and you know you have to have trust in People when they come forward and they say they can do something, and um, we had that. But also, she she really came through in a in a big way. Amazing, yeah. It that speaks
1: to so much of when you're trying to support a community and you're trying to support these groups of people. It involves the listening, and it really involves deep listening, because a lot of the time these folks have the experience to actually really understand what's needed and what's wanted and can share how to actually facilitate that. Like you as an organization might have the tools and the resources to actually implement, but to really understand what the need is, it involves conversation and it involves chatting with those folks.
0: That's such a beautiful story, I love that. And I think it's also important to remember that none of us have a monopoly on good ideas. So just because you you work in a nonprofit sector and you get paid thankfully to think of really nice things that you can do in the community and how to meet needs. You know, that that doesn't mean that the people with the resources or access to those resources can be the only ones that come up with things that can really make a huge difference in the community.
1: As folks interested in social enterprise or the social impact sector, this is a really important piece to reflect on. Research shows that volunteering increases life satisfaction, self-esteem, happiness and physical health, and an individual's social network. Research also shows that volunteering is largely a practice of privilege, with volunteer rates rising as household income increases and higher rates of volunteering among employed comedians. And it makes sense. If you're working multiple jobs in order to cover your bills, or you're so stressed out thinking about how to make ends meet, you might not have the time or mental capacity to volunteer. Jennifer shared that in the coming years, Crouch has a central goal to increase the number of leadership opportunities for residents who face barriers to volunteering due to food and income insecurity, long absences from the workplace disability, addiction, and the ability to secure a clean criminal reference check. Everyone should be able to have access to contributing and participating in their community. Having a seat at the table, if you will. And Crouch is taking meaningful steps to reducing the barriers to volunteering for folks in their neighborhood. And that's a beautiful thing.
0: And and sometimes you have to just move forward and show people and build trust with the community first to say, you know, we want to do things that involve you and that are for you and that really take advantage of what we already have here, but that encourages people to come forward. And what I hope is that through that experience, other residents will see that we take resident ideas and concerns and dreams seriously, and that we can turn that into something together that will be much better than we could ever do as a team on our own. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned something,
1: and I feel like you may have already answered this kind of throughout some of your answers already, but you said, you know, you need to build trust with the community. So how do you actually, like if someone's doing this for the first time and they want to build trust with the communities that they want to support, what are some ways that they can approach that? For you and for Crouch, you have such a long history of working with communities. How do you approach
0: building trust? I think a, a learning from this experience is that when you work full time in the non for profit sector, you have a certain way of working. And when you work with partners who are also employed full time, there are certain expectations you have about how people come to tables and um, how prepared they are for, for different forms of collaborating and um, even things like working hours, right? And ways that we communicate through email that, for some people, isn't something that they do at all. I mm-hmm. mean, um, so it could be that the best way for a person in the community to communicate would be through Facebook, for example. Uh, and and so we have to you know, really be mindful of that and supportive, and and when we're working with people in the community, think that they're always bringing forward their, the best version of themselves that they have to offer that day. Uh, and, and also, you know, be clear about expectations on both sides and just talk openly and and honestly about any challenges that come up. But most importantly, not giving up when when it's challenging.
1: Part of the beauty of these interviews and getting to chat with folks I really like is that we get to continue to have really meaningful conversations even after the cameras stop rolling. Jennifer and I were chatting with my colleague Luis Stay tuned for his episode on the SDG soon. And Jen shared some really important insight. A key part to partnerships is that we cannot make being easy to work with a prerequisite to volunteering. In her words, people who face barriers to employment also face barriers to volunteering, as we just chatted about. At the same time, they have a tremendous amount to contribute to community impact. We need to come to terms with the fact that a volunteer will often work differently from us and outside of the norms we expect in a quote unquote professional environment. If we shift our thinking to see tasks like ongoing negotiations of volunteer roles and boundaries as outcomes rather than problems, both the volunteer and organization are more likely to be successful. Otherwise, we will continue to engage in those who are easiest to work with, which are not necessarily the people for whom volunteering is the most meaningful or who will make the biggest impact in the community.
0: Because I think um, so often we talk about things like resident-led initiatives, but what we mean is that we brought people to the table as professionals, we guided a process, people showed up and they participated to some degree, but was it really resident-led or did we leave it as the people who are used to being in charge? Yeah. Uh, and so I, what I hope that we've done over this last um, year, but especially the spring and the summer and the fall at Crouch um, through the community events that we've been focusing on is showing that um, we, we will push through challenges and we will work in ways that are not just good for us, but also good for the people that we serve and the people that we're working with. And you know, most of our volunteers right now are people who also access our basic needs programming and they do a really great job because they know what it's like to be on the other side of that table Mm -hmm. and and you know you do need to think about how you interact with different types of volunteers differently but that everybody can play a role and have vision have great ideas and make any experience richer than what we ever could have done if we just did it as the professionals by ourselves
1: yeah um so often when i'm chatting with folks and like through programming or coaching or whatever it might be, it's this idea that, yeah, you could have formal education or you, know, you may have gone to business school or whatever it might be, but the, the value of lived experience, which leads to lived expertise mm-hmm. is so valuable. And that always needs to be at the table when we're looking to partner with organizations or we're looking to partner with communities, because if we're just operating on the assumption that we know best, but we don't actually know best, there's so much opportunity for harm that can happen. Um, So how do we ensure that we're creating space and safe and meaningful space for those folks to come and participate is such a a big part of partnering with folks. And yeah, um, it's always been so beautiful to see the way that Crouch does that. It's something that I've always admired. Amazing. Okay, so we kind of chatted a little bit about this as well, but you know, beyond like that component of building trust what would you say are some of the other important considerations when building partnerships with
0: you know either community or community organizations yeah well we just talked a little bit about expectations and so those can be things like boundaries or expectations around when we work and the ways that we want to work together. And I think that needs to be more of a negotiation than an imposition, especially um, dealing directly with community members who don't work in this space. But when it comes to um, other nonprofits, that's really important as well to talk about what do we expect from each other and to what degree are we partnering or collaborating or is this a joint venture? And I think we use the term partnership to mean all of those things, but but it isn't, right? So, um, and I, I really started to think about that through um, conversations with Stanislav of um, Glen Neighborhood resource center, because he was very proud of our partnership during um, the early days of the pandemic with the COVID care package project. And what he was most proud of was that, he said, this is really at like the far end of maximum collaboration, where we were actually sharing resources, not just, Uh, not just kind of executing a project together, but separately. So um, we lost all access to our operating space when the libraries closed during um, March of the pandemic. And I immediately contacted Stanislav, and he said, sure, you guys can come into the warehouse. Um, he was the only one working on site at that point. So we went uh, with our team, he had the space, and um, together we were able to deliver 40 hampers that first week, right, to doorsteps. And then we saw that need was growing and this problem wasn't going away as quickly as we would like. And so the next week we were able to put 80 of them together because he put out a call to his community volunteers. Some of his staff came back, he had board members show up and we were able to use his entire warehouse. Uh, And then we started putting in funding proposals together once the COVID support relief came out um, from places like United Way. And, uh, and when the project got too big for that, we walked across the street where Youth for Christ was also operating a, um, a meal program delivering to houses. And they said, well, we're, we have a huge building. We're only using our kitchen. Why don't you take our entire auditorium? And then we looked at how could we leverage their resources because they operate a cafe, they were able to actually order um, wholesale direct and get food delivered at a time when it was impossible to get your hands on food. I don't know if you remember that, but you could only buy one or two th- of each thing at the grocery store, which wasn't meeting our purpose, um, especially as we geared up to support over 200 houses a week. Yeah. And so th- that's an example that I think is, Pretty rare, and takes exceptional circumstances like a pandemic, where organizations again say yes first to the to the proposal, and then figure out as we go what does everyone have to bring to the table, but also how can we get support that will benefit uh, all the organizations and make sure that we're all able to continue functioning. Uh, and I mean that's something that I think is a, a vision of the London Community Foundation. They have the um, uh, the Vitality Grant that really focuses on who else you're going to work with, for example. The
1: Community Vitality Grant is a grant from the London Community Foundation, a public foundation which is dedicated to improving communities across London and Middlesex County. If you're not in the London area, many municipalities have similarly functioning community foundations, although they may or may not have the same type of grant. Though the 2023 recipient applications are closed, it's worth keeping an eye on if you're an organization working in collaboration to better the community. The Community Vitality grant mentioned here supports innovative projects seeking to improve the quality of life for citizens in the London Middlesex region. From their website, proposals are especially encouraged that represent true partnerships and demonstrate commitment to collaboration and leverage existing or new funding resources within the region's First Nations, uh, the City of London, or Middlesex County in Ontario. The London Community Foundation website specifically says that they're seeking out proposals that value and embody the concept of nothing about us without us which is to say that there's an expectation and a requirement that individuals representative of the populations being served are involved in the decision-making and delivery of the project. This speaks so much to what Jennifer and I are talking about here and also the ethos behind social enterprise as a whole in validating community needs through conversation and collaboration.
0: Um, And more and more funders are starting to ask, hey, this is great that you have this project on your own and in your own little you know corner of the world but what are you doing to make sure that you can leverage the expertise of other people um, including people with lived experience but also sharing resources and and that's something that we're we're being really mindful of, of as we think of our next opportunities
1: yeah it, it kind of comes to that idea of ecosystem right where you have all of these people you have all of these players who are skilled and grounded in what they do well and it takes all of that to really make this function work in a fulsome way, in a way that's sustainable and long-term and best supports the community. Because at the end of the day, we exist to try and make these things better. And we can't do that if we're, you know, trying to be all and do all things because it's just not sustainable for one organization or one group of people. And yeah, Stanislav is the best. He's just like, a
0: gem. <laughs> yeah. And it's a natural place to start with people that you've worked with before or, or the people that you find at the same tables. But something that I really like about what I'm seeing in London now is that people from different, uh, let's say, a- areas of concern or different impact areas in our community are coming to the same table about issues. And um, for example, there's um, a multi- of sector conference right now on um, homelessness and health. And people from the library are going to that table, people from neighborhood resource centers, people from places like ARC admission, people from the city homelessness response. And in sure, many of us already know each other, but when you bring a mix of frontline workers, executive directors, people who are employed by the government to all come together and think about how we can approach a very complex issue that is really embedded into our into our urban ecosystem, then we're much more likely to get ahead. And you know, we can each do our little things to make a difference for individual people, but things like this really take a coordinated approach. Yeah. And and it takes sharing time together, but in a format that really takes into consideration all voices and not just the voices of leadership. Because yeah. <laughs> we all have, um, and, all, and often the frontline workers have the most to contribute to these conversations. Totally. I mean, there's there's
1: two points that I think of when you when you're sharing this, and one is that there's such inter- intersectionality in these issues that, you know, like poverty, uh, food access, food security, um, housing, like they they all intersect and they they contribute to each other in ways that it needs to be that multifaceted approach to actually make progress on them. And yeah, that idea of leadership, you know, leadership isn't always leading in front. If you are a leader, that position of leader in an organization, it's sometimes leading beside or like going behind and just offering those supports. So, you know, that, that practice of really understanding, not necessarily that there isn't hierarchy, but that each person in the circle has important value and knowledge to contribute. So, where are we centering those people in the conversation to make sh- make use of that knowledge, and in a way that allows for for those voices to be heard?
0: Yeah, I actually saw a TikTok yesterday. Love it. That <laughs> that really made me laugh because it was somebody explaining uh, office culture. Okay. And they explained that there's this thing called C-suite, which are the CEOs and what non-profit we usually called executive directors and that their primary purpose is to waft around and be seen <laughs> and make sure that, that, that people see them doing the things that are actual work that gets done mm-hmm. and I, I thought it was hilarious <laughs> because you know that it, there is there is some truth to that where the people that you hear from the most, like you 're hearing right now, are from the people that, um, that have those titles, but it really you know we do need to hear from the people that are doing the frontline work yeah. and and honor their their knowledge and their expertise that does not certainly always come from their education, sometimes it does, but a lot of that comes from lived experience and something that i 'm really proud uh, about at Crouch right now is that every single person on staff at this moment has lived experience with the issues that we're dealing with. Uh, and you know one of the reasons that I was so happy to land at Crow Chamber Resource Centre after I worked at United Way for a couple of years is that London is my hometown. Uh, and I grew up as the oldest of five siblings, single mother, and we lived in the Bully Street housing complex. Uh, and so, under under London Housing, um, on what had just become named Ontario Works at that time, and we used many of the resources in the city that Crouch is now able to bring into that Hamilton Road neighborhood, such as the Food Bank. Yeah. Uh, and you know, working with other people who have had very similar experiences to that, I find that it makes a difference when people come to our door, because we're not, uh, othering people in the same way that you might, even unconsciously, if you have never had those experiences. And we have a very high standard of customer service where everyone who walks up to our door should be able to access resources with dignity. And that uh, that's the, the phrase that made it into our mission statement in our last round of strategic planning, where we, in some sense, are, are a broker. We're kind of the middle person between community members and the resources that they need and really have a right to. And we're in a very um, fortunate and humbling position to be able to extend those to people. But um, it's important that our team never lose touch with where we came from, where we are, and the privilege that it is to now hold the resources that we used to have to ask for ourselves.
1: I am fortunate enough to get to engage in some really thought-provoking conversations through work and through life. And one that I hold close is a conversation of what does inclusion look like? And I believe that this point that Jennifer speaks to about creating a space where folks can access what they need with dignity addresses what inclusion really is. It's a sense of belonging and a sense of being welcome. It isn't enough for folks to enter or access a space and feel like they aren't unwanted. To truly create inclusion involves structural changes that build systems and processes that ensure people feel welcome and wanted. That they belong there. Similarly related, I had a conversation with my friend Amy a while back about what my work attire is, and I shared that I'm really intentional about not wearing what would be considered business casual clothing. And the reason for that is that many of the folks who I end up supporting in this role don't necessarily see themselves as business professionals. Some do, and that's great. And many come from a more grassroots environment and have made to feel like they don't belong or fit in to the entrepreneurial world. So even just the small act of wearing clothes that are more reflective of who I am rather than the blazer and dress pants combo that's often seen in a business space and doesn't really feel like me can create a sense of ease that they are welcome as they are because I show up as I am. These little moments of understanding and empathy really add up to creating inclusive spaces. Yeah, amazing. That is, yes, that is a beautiful way to be able to work. Okay, so very quickly, you shared so much about the incredible work that Crouch does. Where can folks find
0: out more about about Crouch Neighborhood Resource Center? Yeah, well, we're on. We have a website um, www.crouchnrc.org, or just on Google, you can Google Crouch Neighborhood Resource <laughs> Center, and then also you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Crouch NRC and then also on Facebook, if you just look for Crouch Neighborhood Resource Center. And, and what we mostly try to share are some of the really good news stories from the neighborhood, and there are so many of them I'm coming out now, especially with all the leadership that we're seeing from local residents and volunteers. And uh, there'll be lots more to come, but I would encourage people to check out the brand new mural that we just put on the side of the library, um, 16 by eight foot mural hand painted by a resident, um, Shane Wilcox of Studio Shim. And um, we just thank him so much for, uh, for consulting with community members to get ideas about that. And then making the dreams of our community really a visual reality on the side of a building that is so important to all of us in the neighborhood.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us, Jennifer. It's always lovely to chat with you and uh, thank you for being here. Thank you. Okay, so I have one more question for you. It's a question that we ask everyone before we wrap up. If you uh, could share one thing
0: that is bringing you joy right now, what would it be? That's easy. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that's bringing me a lot of joy right now is the momentum around supporting local artists in our community and the fact that we've been able to have live music and live painting integrated into our basic needs activities at Crouch all through the summer and then into the fall with our Harvest Fest and even our Halloween party. And you know I'm seeing a lot of support for people who um, really share their very essence with us through their art and through their music and through their dance. And we need more of that. And we also really need to invest in the people in our community who might not get these opportunities otherwise, because you don't know, especially when someone's come from another country, that they could have been a professional artist that lived from that there and here, they're working at a place like a factory and they're doing what they need to to survive, but you give them the right space and a microphone and a good sound system and they will just light up a room and light up your life. So that is something that I'm thrilled to see happening in our community right now. I love that. One of
1: my favorite things to say is art is joy and it is resistance. Um, So amazing. Thank you again to Jennifer for joining us from Crouch Neighbourhood Resource Centre and for sharing the approach that they take when partnering with communities. It is such a beautiful approach and one that I'm thrilled to have been able to learn from in the past in the ways in which we've worked together. If you'd like to learn more about Pillar Nonprofit Network and the work being done by our organization, you can head on over to pillarnonprofit.ca. If you're interested in learning about Pillar's network approach and how we choose to engage with our network and membership, you can head on over to network.pillarnonprofit.ca. Uh, Once again, I am your host, your guide, your business bud, Mary Moligi, and this has been Pollinating Purpose, A Caring Approach to Business. Thank you for coming along for the ride, and I am so thrilled that you're here.